Luke 15, 3 through 7. Cliff read earlier. I'm going to read it again. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So this morning we're continuing to look at Luke 15 uh, through this message series that Kevin has uh, titled Awaken Lebanon. And it's our desire with this series to awaken to the realities of what it means to follow Jesus. To awaken to the God who is present, the God who is all around us, the God whose very spirit is in this room with us right now. Last week, Kevin did a phenomenal job of laying the foundation for the next few sermons in this series. He set the stage for the three parables that we're going to look at over the course of the next three weeks. And the first parable being today, uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, So if you weren't here last week or you didn't get the chance to uh, catch up on our podcast, uh, Kevin helped us understand the context of these three parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15. He highlighted the fact that Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus spent so much time with these social outcasts, these bad people that the religious leaders and the Pharisees took notice and they gave him a really hard time about it. So, so much so, and it got so bad that Jesus began to address the issues that he had with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, culminating in these three parables that Jesus teaches in Luke 15. It's important to note that the audience isn't necessarily the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus hangs out with. No, Jesus is preaching these three parables directly to the Pharisees and the religious leaders in hopes that these stories will change their hearts and reveal to them the true nature of God. Jesus, like Kevin said last week, had more problems with the religious leaders at that time than the sinners that he was sharing many tables with. So that's the context. That's the 30,000 foot view of what's going on as Jesus is telling this parable in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. And I want to start off this morning uh, by saying this. I am a sheep. I'm a sheep. And... Each one of you is a sheep. We're all sheep from time to time in our lives, and we take on characteristics of sheep. We may not look like sheep or smell like, I mean, we might smell like sheep sometimes, uh, but, but, but we may not bear like sheep, but from time to time, we definitely act like sheep. I spent some time this past week doing some research on sheep. I texted my brother-in-law who has a farm, and I said, hey man, do you know anything about sheep? And he texted me back, he was like, absolutely not. (laughs) And 
And, 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 but his response was hilarious. He was like, no, I don't know anything about sheep. I just know a bunch of weird stuff about produce. And I was like, farmers, man, that's funny. Uh, but I was, doing, I was doing this sheep, I was doing this sheep research. And in the back of my mind, I had this preconceived notion that sheep were inherently stupid, right? Like, I had always heard that my entire life, that sheep were just dumb. Wasn't it George Washington who once said, if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter, right? We've heard that quote. I had always heard that quote, and I thought in the back of my mind, man, sheep are pretty dumb. So as I was preparing for the sermon, and as I studied this parable about the lost sheep, in the back of my mind, I was subconsciously making excuses for why the sheep wandered off. And the number one reason that I came up with in my head was, well, I, sheep are dumb. That's, that's what I've been told my entire life, that sheep are just dumb. They're not very smart. They frolic through green pastures. They're happy and they make good coats. But let me tell you, church, let me tell you, church, my sheep research continued. And I discovered that the reputation of a sheep's intellect or lack thereof is very much a misconception. Sheep are surprisingly intelligent. Uh, sheep have impressive memory and recognition skills. They build friendships. They stick up for one another in fights. And they feel sad when their friends are led to slaughter. So I read this new information on sheep that I had stumbled upon on the internet by Googling, Are Sheep Dumb? And I was kind of upset, you guys. I was kind of upset. Because I really thought that the sermon was going to be a lot easier to preach if sheep were, in fact, stupid. Because shouldn't the sheep know better than to wander off from their herd? Shouldn't the sheep know better than to leave 99 of his buddies? Shouldn't the sheep know better than to leave the one source of food and shelter and safety that it knows? Shouldn't the sheep know better than to wander off from the shepherd whose sole job is to keep the sheep safe? And I was fully prepared to get up here in front of you uh, this morning and say, sheep are dumb. And sometimes they look up and they realize that they've wandered off from their herd. And it's not their fault. They just got lost. What a dumb sheep. But instead, I have to stand up here in front of you today and I have to say, sheep are pretty smart. And sometimes they still wander off. Sometimes they still choose to go their own path and they look up and they realize that they've been wandering off for quite some time now. And they're far from their herd. They're far from their home. They're far from their shepherd. You and I are smart. And sometimes we still wander off. Sometimes we still choose to go our own path. And we look up and we realize that we've been wandering for a while and we're far from our family. We're far from our home. We're far from our God. Human beings are prone to wander. There are so many moments in our lives where we have a choice to follow God, but we choose something else. And that decision doesn't even have to be huge. It can be relatively small. To wander is to walk in a leisurely and aimless way. 
When I wander, I am not running. When I wander, I'm taking my time. And the last point, this last point about wandering is very important. When I wander, I have no direction. When I wander, I have no direction. No wonder we get lost from time to time. It's our instinct as humans to wander. And if wandering is truly aimless, of course we'll look up from time to time and wonder where in the world are we. When I lived in Kentucky before Christine and I uh, got married, uh, I I lived up there for a year and a half uh, by myself. And during that time, I yearned for human interaction. Like, I just, I wanted to hang out with anybody. So whenever I got the chance, I would hang out with somebody. And during this time, uh, Christine and I were going through premarital counseling, and we took the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. And on a scale of 1 to 50, I was like a 48 extrovert. Like, it was, whew, it was off the charts, man. And I think a lot of that was context and situation uh, had to do with a lot of it. And it showed that during that season, I was kind of lonely and I just wanted to be around people. So I was 22 and I made friends with some of the college students at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. And, uh, and, and, and it was just amazing and we would hang out all the time. And I can't tell you how many times we spent uh, playing cards until like two in the morning just hanging out. And we would hang out a lot, and one of our favorite things uh, to do, because I don't know if you know this, but there's not a lot to do in Murray, Kentucky. Um, One of our favorite things to do is when my friends would pull up to my apartment, uh, and and I would walk out, and and they would roll down their window and say, Hey, Cersei, want to get lost. Let's get lost. And there were certain parameters to the game of getting lost, to successfully get lost. First, it had to be nighttime because it was much more difficult to get lost when the sun's out. The second rule of the game was that someone had to be blindfolded, and that was the person who was going to be truly lost, and that was also the person that once we were lost, they were the one who had to get us back home. And the third rule, the third rule, was that if someone in the car wanted to make a turn at any point, left or right, the driver had to make that turn. And the fourth rule was, guys, we had to have a, we had to have a really good playlist. The music had to be really good, guys. So that was the rule of getting lost. Those were the rules. So my friends pull up to my apartment. They uh, lay on the horn until I come outside, and they say, hey, Cersei, want to get lost? And I say, Yes. And I hop in the car and we begin driving. We take a right turn. We take a left turn. We go straight for a while. Right, left, right, right, left, left, right. About an hour passes by and all of us look up and we realize that we have no idea where we are. (laughs) And that's the reason why the fourth rule about good music is really important. Because as the music is playing and as you're singing along, uh, you don't really pay attention to the turns that you're making. (laughs) And we look up and we were really lost and come to find out we were no longer in Kentucky. (laughs) We were in Tennessee, about 40 miles from Murray, Kentucky, once we got our phones out and looked. The game had worked and now it was time to figure out how to get back home. We found out that night that getting lost is relatively easy. It's not too hard. That it doesn't happen right away. 
It was gradual. It was aimless. We had no direction. One might even say that we wandered off. Wandering off is different than running away. It's slower, it's more gradual, but I would argue that it can be just as deceptive and destructive because when we wander, we have no direction. And the dangers of wandering are not immediate. It's only when we're truly lost that we look up and we realize the danger that we're in. As humans, we are prone to wander Our wandering can be slow and gradual, but the sin in our hearts continues to press us and pull us further and further away from God. When God desires for us to take a left, we might choose to take a right. When God wants us to continue down a straight path toward Him, we might choose to do a U-turn. We make all of these decisions against the will of God out of our own pride because deep down, guys, Deep down, though we may not admit it, we often think that our way is better than God's way, right? And then we get lost. So as we continue through this parable this morning, you might be sitting in your pew uh, getting a little uncomfortable because you're beginning to realize that you've been wandering for a really long time. That's the thing about wandering. It's often hard to detect because it starts off incredibly small and results in something very big. So it's very possible that you might be recognizing your wandering of your heart right now for the first time. So if that's you, and God is piercing your heart and shining light on those dark places this morning, understand that there's more to the story. And that you don't have to keep wandering, but we have a shepherd who recklessly loves us enough to go and find us and bring us home. Luke 15, 4. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? We may be prone to wander, but God is prone to save Accountants really hate this parable, you guys. Risk management people really don't like this parable. Because we read it, and financially, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, you're going to leave 99 sheep in the open country in order to search for one sheep that happens to be lost. I mean, come on, dude, cut your losses and be like, hey, at least I got 99. To us humans, this parable makes zero sense. Logic tells us that it's a pretty bad idea to leave the rest of your sheep and go searching for the one that happens to be lost. And that's another thing about this parable. The shepherd isn't just leaving his sheep. It's not like the parable says uh, that the shepherd left his sheep in a large fenced-in area where they were watched by his other shepherd friends and cared for while he spent some time looking for the lost sheep. The parable doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. What Jesus is doing is he is zeroing in on this idea that God cares so much for that lost sheep that he will do whatever he possibly can to bring that sheep home. Praise God that I'm not the one making that call because in my human nature, I would leave the one sheep and continue on my way with the 99. Praise God that for his vast, incredible, reckless love for the lost sheep because I am the lost sheep. 
Because you're the lost sheep. I'm the one who's in need of saving. And if it was up for me, we would all be lost in our wandering. But praise God that it's not up to me. Praise God for his search and rescue mission. What Jesus has done in this parable is he has used metaphor and story to try and reveal the vast, deep, wide, expansive love that he has for his children. And yet we sit here and we ask the question, but Alex, why would the shepherd care more about that one sheep than the 99? Like, why? Guys, that's not what's happening. Remember back to last week when Kevin highlighted who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the people who think that they know everything about the true nature of God. These are the people who stand on the street corner and protest funerals and concerts. These are the ones who stay walled up in their church building their entire life having never experienced anything else and yell at everyone outside of their walls and say that they are all sentenced to eternity in hell. These are the ones who view Scripture as a law book and believe that if they can just do enough stuff, then they can earn their way into heaven. And Jesus says, no! No! This parable is for you. I'm preaching to you. Luke 15, 5-7, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is taking all of the Pharisees' religion. He's taking all of their righteousness and superiority and intellect, and he's telling them to their face, you are the 99 unrepentant sinners. You think that you don't need to repent. You think that you've got it all figured out, but you don't. You think Jesus wants more religion? He wants relationship. You think that Jesus wants you to earn your way into heaven? That's not even possible. There is nothing that you can do in order to to earn your salvation other than humbly reaching out and saying, God, I've wandered for far too long. I need you to save me. Salvation is a gift that's available to all of us lost sheep that have wandered off from our shepherd. And when our shepherd finds us and rescues us and brings us home, there's rejoicing in heaven because the lost sheep is the sinner that repents. To repent is to turn away from a life of sin. It's not just feeling sorry for the things that you did. Repentance requires change. And ultimately, repentance in this parable is the reason why the heavens are rejoicing. So I just feel like God has placed it on my heart this morning to reach out to our congregation and reach out to everyone sitting in this room and ask this question, is there something in your life right now that you need to repent of? 
Is there something going on in your life right now, some sin habit or some sin struggle that, that you feel is insurmountable? Is there something that's holding you back from truly following Jesus? Are you sitting there and you think, well, I feel really bad about it and I feel a lot of shame about it and, and you know, that's enough. It's not. Repentance is a step toward sanctification and we cannot begin to look more like Jesus if we continue to reject repentance and run away as soon as our shepherd finds us. Because here's the good news, guys. Here's the good news. Your sin is not insurmountable. There is nothing that you are caught up in. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you will do to convince God to stay with the 99. God will always perform the search and rescue mission. God will always throw you over his shoulders and bring you home. And heaven will throw the biggest party this universe has ever seen for every lost sheep that returns home. So maybe you're in a place this morning where you are in desperate need of repentance. Maybe God has moved you to a place this morning where you're ready to repent and you're ready to start living a new life, a new life of following Jesus. But maybe you're also in a place this morning where where things are pretty good right now. Maybe you've gone through a season of life where you've repented and, and, and you've experienced healing and you feel incredibly close to the heart of God right now, maybe that's you. Another lesson that this parable teaches us is that we are called to awaken to the reality that it is our job as followers of Jesus to adopt the heart of the shepherd. While there is nothing that you can do in order to earn your salvation, there are certain things that our transformation into the likeness of Jesus compels us to do. Just for a moment this morning, I want to speak to everyone in this room who claims to be a follower of Jesus, okay? If that's you, then the transformation that you have experienced from following Jesus, the repentance, the joy, the love, the mercy, the grace, all of those things that we've experienced as God has transformed us into new people, those things should compel us to adopt the heart of the shepherd in this passage and partner with God in rescuing the lost sheep. As followers of Jesus... As followers of Jesus, our transformation continues and our mission begins. If your heart, if your heart does not break for the things that break God's heart, then I would question whether you're really following Jesus. If you see how poverty and famine and malnutrition run rampant in our world and you have an opportunity to help, but you turn a blind eye, are you truly following Jesus? If you're a student in high school and a group of your friends are ganging up on someone and having fun at that student's expense and you join in, are you really following Jesus? If you witness how very real 
the evil of racism is in our world. And instead of engaging in meaningful conversation with people who look different than you, you dismiss it as untrue and not real and make no effort toward reconciliation. Are you really following Jesus? If you think that you have all the answers and you've spent countless years filling up the attendance report on Sundays and Wednesdays, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you do not follow Jesus. Are you really following Jesus? Followers of Jesus experience transformation. When we decide to give our lives to Jesus, when we decide to put on Jesus in the waters of baptism, we are being made into new people. We're experiencing transformation. And as we are transformed into new people, this process that we call sanctification, we are called by God to adopt the heart of the shepherd in this parable. It's our job to partner with God in redeeming this world. It is our job to partner with God in loving people. It's our job to partner with God in performing the search and rescue mission for all of those who have wandered off and are in desperate need of coming back home. So here's what this process looks like, all right? We are the lost sheep, number one. Number two, God leaves the 99, he finds us, and he brings us home. Number three, there's rejoicing in heaven because we repent and we decide to follow Jesus. And number four, we awaken to the reality that we are now called to adopt the heart of the shepherd and rescue lost sheep. So if you're sitting there and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this is your mission. This is why you live and why you breathe. This is what you're called to do. You are called to partner with God in performing rescue mission after rescue mission after rescue mission. We're all sheep from time to time in our lives. We take on characteristics of sheep. We may not look like sheep or smell like sheep. We may not bah like sheep. But there are definitely times in our lives when we act like sheep. You and I are prone to wander. Praise God that despite our wandering, despite our tendency to become lost, praise God that he leaves the 99. God searches for and rescues us time and time again. Praise God for his never-ending mercy and grace that he showers on us every single day.